Hi everyone, welcome to Steph's audio channel. We are very excited to share our content from Steph's events to learn all about the latest trends in startups, digital media, fintech, future tech, and wellness in emerging markets. You can find us on Enagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite channel and we hope you enjoy the content. Hello everyone. Are you enjoying Steph so far? We'll need to raise the levels of excitement here because the, the next topic we're going to be describing does result in way more excitement than we see currently. Um, it has resulted in a lot of excitement from everyone, investors, uh, diehard fans, athletes, uh, whoever came into this or had a chance to touch it, uh, got very excited. It's a passion thing. It's esports. Um, to define esports for everyone, it's kind of a, it's a competitive professional level of doing what a lot of us do back home, which is basically play games. Um, esports happen when you do it in front of the audience. That's, you know, why it's so exciting. Um, it's a market that is about 2 billion now. Uh, that means that it's not as big as gaming itself. It's only about a percent of what a uh, gaming market is. But at the same time, the influence and the excitement it gets around the games is unparalleled. Um, out of the top 50 franchises all time, if we think about the, you know, gross revenues of every single gaming franchise that you can think of, from, you know, StarCraft to FIFA to whatever, Within the last five to 10 years, every single one of them had to have a significant esports component in it um, in order to make it to that top 50 list. Beyond that, when we talk about audiences, the league, the, the grand finals of, um, um, of esports events actually attract audiences that are bigger than Super Bowl. Uh, and if we're talking about, you know, um, uniting uh, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, and Dr. Dre to, um, to, to, to fight esports, that's, uh, that's quite a big statement, I think. Uh, nevertheless, I have a pleasure to, uh, you know, uh, have uh, an amazing panel uh, with me today. Uh, we have uh, Saeed Sharaf, who is a CEO and founder of Middle East um, Esports, uh, which is basically um, an esports uh, organizer. Uh, we have um, uh, Abaf, uh, sorry, Arif, <laughs> um, who is here to represent um, uh, mass media. So he comes here from NBC. Uh, let's leave alone uh, his uh, mobile gaming experience. Uh, before that, uh, but he's here to, to represent NBC and all the amazing things that they're doing in this space, but also talk about, uh, you know, how do you bring esports to mass media? Uh, and then obviously, you know, um, we're talking about real celebrities here, real esports celebrities. Uh, Marie Hanaz, um, she has started the first ever female esports comp uh, team uh, in Middle East. Um, she is mysteriously describing herself as a free agent these days because she has um, transferred from Nigma Galaxy. At least she's, she's claiming that. Um, so if anybody uh, you know, is forming a team, she might be, uh, she might be your best bet. Um, as I said, esports is a passion thing. Uh, I want to start the conversation very simply. Um, what makes you passionate about esports? Um, what makes you excited about it? Should we start with you? Uh, well, for me, I think being a gamer since the very early days and then, you know, growing up in gaming cafe and sometimes escaping school to play video games, uh, maybe that's what built esports into my, uh, you know, my inner childhood. But when I moved here in 2014, it was the first time I heard that what we used to do back home in Syria is called esports. And there is something called Twitch and people actually tune in to watch other players watching video games. And this is where, you know, the passion grow because finally we can make a living out of something we, we were passionate about. And here we are today is, you know, uh, selling viewership for brands so they can watch a broadcast for players watching, uh, you know, playing other games. So this is, I think, what makes me really excited how it's developed. 
point for me was um, I was in Rio de Janeiro. I was attending the World Series for Free Fire. Free Fire is the biggest mobile game in the world. And I was there. Uh, the, the youngest player was 16 years old. And the total prize pool was $2 million. And I think that was the turning point where I decided, you know what? I need to be part of this ecosystem. Okay, so it's the greed. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think what... Is my mic on? Okay. I think what makes me truly passionate about gaming is I've been doing it since I was a kid. And uh, making it into a career has been mind-blowing for me. And then when large events happen, for example, Girl Gamer, it's the largest female dedicated tournament that happened here that I got to participate in. It just blows my passion out of the roof. Okay, thanks. Um, Arif, um Mina is a massive gaming market. Um, there's a lot of, uh, well, the population is young, digital savvy, we talked about this many times. Uh, there's a lot of excitement uh, for years. Uh, gaming was one of the top forms of entertainment uh, that you could, you could have. Um, how is this changing now that esports is coming into uh, place? Uh, is it a shared level of excitement, let's say, that goes to gaming as well? And I think, what are the local players doing in order to, to address that? Yeah, I think um, one of the main things that we've seen in esports in the region is that it, there is high adaptation of it by big brands. We're talking uh, Gillette has done its own esports, uh, uh, KFC has done their own esports in the region. We find a little uh, slow action from the local brands. Um, it is still very slow to move to that space and it's led mainly by uh, uh, mobile providers or internet providers like Zane and STC in Saudi Arabia. I think the main reason behind that is because there isn't continuity in esports in the region. We're seeing a lot of on-off tournaments um, here and there. But any person who needs to be an advertiser needs to know that I'm advertising in a content that has continuity that people are going to be excited about for the long run. And this is where we're stepping in. Okay. And Said, do you believe um, you know the um, the region has what it takes when it comes to regulation infrastructure uh, to serve the the supply and demand for it? Do you think that kind of the matchmaking between you know the players, the um, the, the advertisers, and at the same time the the organizers and the games themselves? Uh, do we have the right infrastructure to, to make esports happen in the region? Um, I don't think so, uh, and I completely agree with Arif. What uh, brands need is something continuous, you know, so they can have like a a full year of agenda so they can know how to allocate their budget and then they can uh, invest and the, infra and the ecosystem will be sustainable. But when it comes to the infrastructure, it also requires the involvement of other stakeholders, such as the uh, government, let's say, things for the ping relation, how the communication is happening between the countries. Sometimes uh, it can affect players even if they are playing from two nearby countries like Saudi and the UAE their route is actually going, let's say, to Europe. So the infrastructure needs to be enhanced. And to be enhanced, it needs investment. And we, we believe that mass media, like Arif mentioned, is required. So it gives this to the mainstream. And then, you know, it raises awareness about this industry further. Okay. Arif, you're doing exciting things at NBC on this front. Uh, could you talk us through some of it? I think admittedly, we're late to the party, uh, first of all. But I think when NBC puts its weight behind um, an offering like esports, uh, you can guarantee that it's going to reach a big portion of the audience that exists here. And it's going to put to rest a lot of the troubles that were um, uncovered by the BCG report, for example, that was talking about 
you know, inconsistency of the offering, lack of funding for the people that are playing the esports, uh, a lack of a direct path from being an amateur to being a world-class uh, athlete in esports. And this is where we stepped in and we said, you know what, we like esports, we want to bring it to the region. So I think we've all heard about the NBC signing uh, at Neom for studios of gaming. So starting from the very beginning. And then the next thing we're doing is, um, and this is the first time we announced it to, to uh, outside of the sales decks, um, we're, we're creating a show to recruit amateurs from all over the Arab world to start competing consistently. It's, the, the show is called 1K52, so we're giving away $1,000 every week for a year to ensure that there's continuity when it comes to esports and esports offering on the channel. The third thing we're doing is um, we've created a TV show, uh, six seasons, 10 episodes per season, uh, $25,000 for the winner, uh, whereby uh, semi-pros will compete on live TV uh, for a chance to win the 25,000. And more importantly than the 25,000, uh, they're winning a golden seat at the tournaments at the global stage where we hear that the Paris pool is uh, 2 million and above. So that's how we were able to create an entire ecosystem from the amateurs to get them to the world stage. And this is what we're excited about. Okay. Um, Mariha, over to you. Um, Arif already spoke about the path, how we go from amateur to, to a pro. Um, can you tell us more about your path? And at the same time, how does it feel to be a professional esports athlete, e-athlete um, in the Middle East at the moment? Do you feel like you have the right support and opportunities to, uh, to succeed? Um, so I started about two years ago. Oh, once again, it was the Girl Gamer World Finals happening here. In the Middle East, there weren't many opportunities for esports, let alone females, to be honest. So when this festival was coming, I reached out to sponsors and I was like, you know what, there has to be a, a team representing the Middle East. Because there were European teams, there were Chinese teams, but there was no females from the Middle East playing. So they allowed me to make the first ever uh, all-female Middle Eastern team. And we got to participate in this tournament, which was amazing. Um, yeah. When, um, when we talk about becoming professional in the sport, I mean, the, the word itself professional kind of justifies that you need to dedicate your full-time career to it, which means that you have to write the right level of income and sponsorship and so on. Is that difficult to, to get by in the region? Um, do you feel at risk at any point that, you know, you can't dedicate all of your time and all of your talent to, to playing esports as a, as a full-time activity? To be honest, I feel like I was really lucky with the opportunity I got. Thank God. But um, I think for females all over the world, not just in the Middle East, it's a real challenge to get picked up by an org. Uh, this is another point I wanted to touch on. I feel like in the Middle East, what was nicely done was that when esports started, I mean, it's still in its developing stages, but they really nurtured male and female talent hand in hand. Whereas other regions that are already developed, I would say, um, are just now picking up female players. What do you think is the future of esports? Do you think the teams will be competing together? Um, in a sense, sorry, the, the different genders are going to be competing together? Or is there going to be kind of separated tournaments? How do you think these things will evolve. I mean, you know, in, in the legacy sports, let's say we, due to kind of physical um, attributes, we, we often, you know, separate the genders, let's say. Um, is the same thing going to happen to esports for some reason? Or how do you see that evolving? Because you, you have these 
tournaments. You could argue that these are more of like PR stunts or, or whatever. Um, how do you think things will evolve? Honestly, uh, it is a PR stunt to many, but I feel like uh, with me, it really wasn't because there was a true opportunity. I, I know the tournament that I played for really supports females. Uh, anyone could see that if they researched it, but uh, there are already females in uh, top competitive play. It just depends on what game you're playing, really. The game I play, I mean, there's a lot of females trying to get to the top, but it's it's such a competitive industry, honestly. Uh, it, it's very difficult. That's exciting. And then you already mentioned saying that it's the game that you play. What happens if, you know, there's a new game that is hyped up as much as League of Legends is? Um, do you think it's a kind of it's transferable skill being an e-athlete? You can go to another game. What happens in there? Um, do you have? Do you also have kind of a, you know, uh, a certain period in your life that you can play, be an e-athlete, and then you have to move on? How does it go? So my opinion on this is I, I truly believe when an athlete steps into uh, the game or the sport that they're uh, playing, they accept the fact that they have a limited time frame in it. And uh, thankfully, there are other opportunities that come after that. But I feel like uh, certain skills from one game can be transferred to other. Uh, I'll give my coach as an example, my ex-coach, actually, my first coach ever. He was uh, a League of Legends. So that's the game I play. He was a League of Legends coach. And now, uh, I don't know what his reasoning was, but he transferred into FIFA coaching which is a really good example for your question, I feel. Sure. Um, in many aspects, we talk about esports as if it's any other sport. Yet, you know, the mass audiences might, well, they have some hesitance or they may have some hesitance uh, in, in kind of accepting esports uh, e as a sport uh, or a legacy sport, something similar to the legacy sports that we know, uh, whether that would be, you know, the Olympic Committee or, or whatever. Um, what is your view that is essentially, you know, uh, creating this hesitance uh, and how can it be overcome? The thing is when you say sport, most people think about football or boxing. So they think about something that will make you sweat and it requires a lot of physical activities, but there are many sports that doesn't require that such as the archery, chess, motorsport and one of the example i used to give uh, when i tried to pitch sponsor is to give them uh, car racing as an example because in car racing let's say formula one you sit behind the chair you are only controlling the entire car from one place which is similar to the joystick and then you have your eyes coordinating with your brain to do some sort of activity. So eSport is, is exactly the same. Um, you are also inside the track, coordinating with other colleagues, maybe your coach, um, having a tournament with prize pools. So it is a sport. It's just nowadays they used to call traditional sport and then eSport. But it's mental sport. And this is maybe uh, also related to the question to Madiha, like, if in the future we will see uh, all gender esport team, well, the thing is yes because it's a mental sport. But before that, maybe we need to work also on the environment, on the culture, on the bullying internet, on, on the internet, and so on. And then it it can happen. So you, you can have it uh, inclusive. Uh, but for brands and for sponsors, if you 
go to them from this point of view, then they will accept it because it's there, the viewership is there, the structure of a tournament is there, the regulation, the formula, the leagues, everything is there. But you have to resonate with your uh, with your experiences. I think um, why people have a hard time accepting esports as a sport is uh, basically when, uh, first of all, I don't know, for me personally, it was always something that was frowned upon as a kid. People thought gaming was a waste of time. It's like, you know, an addiction that you're just trying to feed. But um, I think the similar factors that you need to keep in mind is both traditional sports player and an esports athlete, they put in hours and hours of training. One might be physical, one might be mental, but it's really the same thing if you look at the similarities. Um, Ara, if you come from, I don't want to call it legacy media, but let's say uh, mass media, broadcasting and so on, um, we can already see that, you know, esports is exciting for uh, for broadcasters, but... Um, in general, if we look into, let's say, the revenue that you manage to achieve as a sport from every single viewer or enthusiast, um, esports is roughly around two and a half, three dollars per per viewer, whereas some of the biggest leagues in the U.S. are, are at kind of a 25, 30 percent mark. We're really talking about tenfold difference. Um, where do you think is this just kind of a sign of opportunity, saying that this is where it's going to go, or do you think there are any blocks in, let's say, um, esports becoming a mass media sport, not just a diehard fan enthusiast thing that you know people look at, thinking, "What is this weird thing?" Um, when do you think it's actually going to hit us on the primetime TV? Um, how do you think, I think this space will evolve? TV will definitely be a defining factor in this. Um, TV will be a defining factor in this for one reason. It will act like the aggregator for everything that has been happening in the region to help esports push, being pushed forward. What we see in different regions, and this is truly baffling, you find in, um, in certain regions where esports are very prominent, um, energy drinks are always marketed as saying, you know, they're good for your eyesight because hand eye coordination is very important in esports. You find, for example, that uh, uh, there's a rise in uh, uh, granola bars, which are very nutritious, but they don't oil the joysticks in these markets. So they over-index on certain things that we don't have uh, yet in the region. The region will follow because we've always followed and we've always caught up and we've always done it better in a lot of ways than any other markets. But uh, the examples that we're seeing as consumer products, in particular, uh, let's say mature markets, um, shows a trend towards catering for esports uh, in, in the regions where they're growing in. So it's only a matter of time until we follow. And I do believe we are almost there. We've seen Zane and STC, as I mentioned before, the reason they were the front line in this is because they're trying to market you know, the fast internet speed, as you were mentioning, the ping speeds that they were doing, uh, the mobile and the mobile devices at which the gamers are playing. So we're still finding front-end users, our front-end uh, consumer products uh, taking main stage in terms of marketing, but eventually we'll fall into the Doritos example where Doritos uh, launched uh, in a European market. I can't remember which one, but they, run, uh, they launched a, a bag that's a towel that you can clean your fingers after you eat something uh, uh, as uh, powdery as a Doritos so you can continue playing. So we're seeing not only the advertisers tending towards esports, but even a lot of advertisers are changing their product to fit into the esports ecosystem.
understand that uh, the esports audience, which is typically very young and uh, you know pretty affluent as well, um, is interesting to the advertisers. Uh, but when we talk about let's say mass audiences and you know mass broadcasting, not just a niche diehard yeah. fans, you know. Do you think there's a barrier um, to make esports exciting to someone beyond just you know looking at a big stadium, somebody playing esports and saying, "Oh, this is a nice concept," but actually you know being interested in the game, following the teams, and so on? If you're not a gamer yourself, do you think you have to be a gamer to enter esports? Or a big advantage that esports has in this case uh, are the cinematic graphics, the entertainment, and the storyline that is happening around there. Uh, the make the big maps. There's a lot of role that the casters are playing in that. You know the tone of voice at which he's speaking. How much can you sell it as a sport? And it really is a sport because. So one of the first titles that we're trying to launch is uh, FIFA because that's the most transferable knowledge from football that's very famous in our region into something that people are seeing footballers play, and uh, uh, it's just a difference in slight difference in graphics actually. And Saudi Arabia, for example, the biggest market in the Middle East is no foreigner to the eFIFA world titles. We know that uh, Adoseri was the winner of the global championship for FIFA in 2018. So there is uh, kind of like a, um, a certain gate that we need to cross for it to become as mass as we want it to get. But uh, I think with the right steps that we're taking, it's only a matter of time until we uncover that. Okay. Um, Said, so you... We're at the forefront of launching esports in Syria, and you have the experience of dealing with both government institutions, but also, let's say, sports regulators when it comes to, um, um, you know, creating the fundamentals around esports uh, in every single country. We have seen a lot of excitement um, coming from the government and the affiliated, uh, you know, certain wealth funds and so on, all across the region, investing into esports organizers, investing into game publishers, and so on. Um, what could be those things that can actually help this journey that we're trying to describe um, and speed it up within the region so that we're no longer, let's say, following you know, what happens in the, in the rest of the world, but actually um, start leading um, the space? See, the government involvements can be separated in two categories. The first one is to make the life easier for players and league operators, and it starts with issuing visa for traveling uh, to compete at other countries. And this is one example we were facing because for us, let's say, as Syrian, it's hard for us to get uh, a touristic visa nowadays. But we were able to compete in Singapore two months ago just because their government recognized eSport and thus they invited our player as athletes. So this is one part where you can see it uh, directly. The other part will comes on the long run and it contains things like creating a legal uh, framework for all the other stakeholders in the government to understand it. So, for example, here, the Department of Economic in Dubai already issued, I think, 25 new licenses. So you can actually now be officially licensed as a broadcasting company for eSport or as a studio, uh, as an eSport team, you know, multiple entities. So this will make it easier for people to get into new jobs official jobs into into the uh, into the country and then it will help solving issues when it comes to price pool uh, players transferring from one team to another you know all those legal issues you will also see in the future some lawyers who are not sports uh, specific but they have a degree let's say in esports and then comes the longer terms when it, when they utilize their infrastructure better so they can 
first issue licenses for the gaming center because those are the pitch. This is where the players play, right? So in many countries, there are, let's say, licenses for internet cafe, but not for gaming center. So this will come one part, which will generate a lot of revenues for the government and the Ministry of Economics and so on. And then you will have the other part where they work uh, accordingly with the game publishers and the local telecom providers to provide better packages, less latency, you know, adaptive packages maybe for the consumer. And then you, you see the bigger scope, which is, for example, in Saudi, which is a rare case, but it's worth mentioning because uh, their style, uh, stars aligned as in, the, in your uh, team uh, slogan. So you have the vision 2030. So they said, okay, let's not only rely on oil as an income, let's also have multiple aspects, including gaming. So they have the vision. And then to execute a vision, you need funds, and their government has the funds, so they are investing. And then you need a leadership to monitor how the process is going. And as you mentioned, the acquisition they made for ESL and FACET is made by their national fund with a company supervised directly by the crown prince. So they have the, the leadership who understands gaming. And then, as Arif mentioned, they are doing this huge investment in Neon to bring AAA studios. So this will generate a lot of income for the government on different uh, categories, for different departments uh, of, the, of, the, of the government. So this is how I think governments can actually relate for players, for leagues, and then for the investment parts. Okay. So to close this off, um, I want to throw a bit of a curved ball. Um, every single year in esports, it's a very fast developing uh, space. Every single year marks a new milestone, a new record, a new something. If you had to predict what changes between this step conference and the one next year, what would be your bet uh, on on you know the development within the esports space? Anything, medal, tournament, whatever. Who wants to start? Go ahead. <laughs> Arif, you look like you want to start. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. So throughout the next year, what are you expecting? What do you expect to change? What will be the next uh, kind of shift in the in the sport? Well, I, I don't know if next year exactly, but for sure, if we look at this year and two years ago, we, we have seen a huge shift, mainly due to the lockdown for the COVID. You know, a lot of uh, brands realized there is a high consumption of entertainment uh, materials, whether it's TV or gaming, and this boosted their investment in esport leagues and uh, gaming teams. Um, so we, we have seen a lot of increasement in brand involvement, and then you see, let's say, mass media creating their new IP for gaming and mobile operators. Uh, another th nice thing is that, uh, for example, the Asian Olympic Committee is creating now uh, a long term for their athletes. So now each government with their Olympic Committee are sending esports players. So we will see it as an official sport soon. And the UAE, Saudi, Syria, all those countries have esports as an official sport, which will boost it further. And I believe just more brand involvement will create another boost. So I, I'm not, I will not be surprised if the next panel, let's say next year, will have more non-endemic brands, not just only mass media, but maybe some F&B uh, cars, maybe manufacturer, and so on. I think I, I can make one bold prediction. And I make this prediction because I made it my mission at NBC to make this happen. We're going to see a lot more Arabic names um, in global tournaments. And this is what I'm working towards. This okay. is exclusive content. <laughs> <laughs> perspective, I would 
predict that, you know, hopefully, this is a dream, that the UAE becomes like the hub for all things esports and people come from abroad. I mean, it's already happened once, but people come from abroad to uh, compete here. Fantastic. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find our content on Anagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Step Conference and let's stay in touch.